Welcome to the Gardens Podcast. This message titled Jesus' Strategy for Training was given by Bill Dogtrum and is the twelfth in our series of the Kingdom. Like Darren said, we're 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 talking about from the Gospel of Mark, which using his kind of major theme of the nature of the kingdom and what Jesus brought, what he came. The gospel that Jesus preached was not believe on me, get your sins forgiven, and and meet me in heaven someday. Um, That's not the gospel that Jesus preached. The gospel that Jesus preached, the good news that he announced was that the kingdom of God is available for entry now through him. That longed for hoped for, believed in reality that the Jewish nation had been hungering for for uh, almost two millennia was now available in, in his life. And uh, that's kind of the gospel that the garden uh, believes in and preaches too. Yes, we want you to come to Jesus. We want you to deal with integrity, with the things that are damaging and destroying your life, which God calls sin. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's not about going to heaven. It's about the kingdom of God's becoming present here. Um, and so we were, that's why the, the kind of the, the language that we use is that the garden is a community of communities that exists to partner with Jesus in the renewal of all things. That's why we do community garden. That's why we do community groups. That's why we do this on Sunday morning as one tiny little part of what it means for us to be salt and light in this, in this city. Now, as you look around, um, go ahead, just, just take a look around. See who's, who's sitting beside you. I know sometimes we can, especially, I want to make one emendation to what Darren said. If you are an introvert and nobody shook your hands, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> just saying, you don't have to write a note or anything. I'll just acknowledge that reality for the 25% of us in the crowd. How many know exactly what I'm talking about? That is the most awkward time in the whole thing that we do on Sunday morning. How many of you come late to avoid community time? All right, thank you so much. Yes, yes. I want to remind you that there are others of us in the, in the room. Okay, last week uh, we were in, in, in uh, Mark chapter 2 and into 3 where Jesus is beginning to draw the battle lines between himself and the religious authorities. He has recognized that the Pharisees are more dangerous to the kingdom than the Roman army is. The religious people, the good people, the people with the rules and the regulations are more dangerous to the coming of the kingdom, more likely to damage the coming of the kingdom than all of the soldiers in Caesar's army. You'll notice he says in the entire gospel, not one word about the occupying force in Jerusalem at the time. Not one word does he speak about Caesar, about the Roman army. He says two things about Herod. But he says time and time and time again, watch out for the people who make the rules by which everybody else must gain access to the kingdom. The kingdom is more powerful than the rule keepers have allowed you to believe it is. Now, this is not to say that Jesus doesn't believe there's such a thing as soul-destroying sin. He just knows that making rules isn't the way to deal with it. Life from the center is the way to deal with soul-destroying 
habits, behaviors, belief systems, and structures. So that was last week. Now this week, having drawn kind of those boundary lines, Mark has give, will give us the second of his summary statements in verse 7 of the third chapter of Mark. So if you're, if you're with us, um, you can follow along. The, the words on the screen and the words that I read will more or less agree. So we're, we're, we're making progress here. And, and you can follow along verse 7. It's on page 814. I love being able to do that. Um, uh, Jesus uh, departed with his disciples to the sea. This is now the Sea of Galilee. And a great multitude from Galilee followed him, hearing all that he was doing. They came to him in great numbers from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, beyond the Jordan, the region around Tyre and Sidon. He told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him because of the size of the crowd that they would not crush him. He had cured many. So that all those who had diseases pressed upon him to touch him. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and shouted, You are the Son of God. But he ordered them sternly not to make him known. Then he went to the mountain, called to him those whom he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve whom he also named apostles to be with him, to be sent out to proclaim the message and to have authority to cast out demons. So he appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter's, Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, and Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. There's a whole lot in these few verses that I want to focus on, and just in the interest of time, I'm going to really kind of uh, tighten it in here. Um, the first thing that we need to recognize again, as I mentioned, <clears throat> excuse me, is that verses 7 through 12 are one of the ways that, that Mark just kind of summarizes what's gone before and gets us ready for the next thing. There's a couple of things I want you to notice here, however. Jesus is still in the north part of the country, so the conflict between himself and the Pharisees is just beginning to heat up because he has not spent much time in the south where the kind of headquarters of the Pharisaic movement is in Jerusalem. So they have sent uh, kind of ambassadors or emissaries to check him out, to find out where he fits as a rabbi. And that is where that tension, that conflict, specifically over Sabbath, has been engaged. So Jesus is still in that northern part of the country, but already his reputation, already word about him is spreading uh, like wildfire. So much so that people are coming to him from all of the regions and from other countries already, you can imagine this, we've got a, a, a relatively small region here from top to bottom, Jerusalem, excuse me, Israel is about 200, 250 miles. Um, but look, look at these, this region here, uh, great numbers, it says in verse 8, from Judea, 
which is the kind of the state or the province in which Jerusalem is located, the capital city. Idumea is the, is the country to the southwest of Judea. So if you go to the bottom end of the, of the Dead Sea and then go over to the left and down a little bit, uh, that's where Idumea is. If you look at <clears throat> beyond the Jordan, that's on the eastern shore, eastern side of the Jordan River. So not Jewish territory at all. Uh, so men and women are coming from, from territory not traditionally open to the idea, the message of the kingdom. Uh, and they're coming from Tyre and Sidon, which is in the northwest compared to, to, to where we are here in, 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 in Galilee. They are in the northwest on the shore of the Mediterranean Sea. And, and Mark does that just to indicate not just that these are where people are coming from. He took a, a census. <clears throat> but to indicate that from all over the country and all over outside of the country, men and women are pressing in, coming in, flooding into this tiny little backwater enclave of nowhere. Why? They are drawn by the power of the proclamation that the kingdom of God has come and is active in the ways that the kingdom will be active. In other words, the centered set that we talked about last week is having its exact intended result. People are being drawn to the well of living water that is Jesus. That's what's happening. That's what Mark is proclaiming here. Now, the consequence of that is precisely why Jesus didn't want anybody to know who he was. He is being so pressed, so pressed. If you can imagine this, have you ever been in, in, in one of those kinds of crowd presses where if you jumped up, it would carry you along. That's the imagery that Mark uses for us here. That Jesus is so pressed that he can barely turn around. He can barely move. In fact, in the story that Darren will work through next week, I, I think it's the next one. Uh, yeah, in, in the next couple of weeks. I'm not sure exactly how we've got this divided. But, but the, his family is concerned because all of these people are pressing in on him and they have come to the conclusion that Jesus is nuts. He's out of his mind. His family concludes that Jesus has, the driveway doesn't go all the way to the garage. You with me? So, 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 so they want to kind of rescue him. They want to try and, 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 and save him. But here, Jesus' strategy is to get a small boat and get out on the water so that his voice projects and you have this mass of humanity listening to the words that he is saying and wanting just if they can get just close enough to touch him. Just to touch him. Because they believe accurately that if they can touch him, life will flow from him to them. Cleanliness, cleanness will flow from them and cure their leprosy. Health will flow from them, him and cure their disease. This is the nature of their understanding of Jesus. And he has taught them into this reality. So that's the, that's the scenario as we come here. But in addition to that, we have a supernatural noticing of what's going on. So much so that the demons who recognize, uh, we, we believe in, 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 in a, a, a world other than what we can see. There is a supernatural realm beyond what we can see, beyond what we can apprehend with our five senses. There are angelic beings, there are uh, demonic beings, there are spirits of various kinds, and some of them at some times in some cultures 
can take up occupancy in a person at that person's invitation. Very, it's not particularly easy. There's a series of rituals that needed to have taken place even in our cultures today. Um, it's still possible today, although relatively rare in, in, in Western, uh, Western cultures, much more common in two-thirds world uh, cultures uh, for various reasons. But in this particular culture, we're dealing with a, a, a conflict in which now the demons, these, these dark spirits, if you will, not the departed spirits of beloved dead, but spirits similar to angels but opposed to God, have recognized who Jesus is and are beginning to call him out. And I need you to notice that's what they're doing. You are the Son of God. We recognize who you are. Will you come out for battle? And he, he delivers those who have been demonized and silences the demons for a couple of reasons. One, he doesn't need that kind of press. Right? This is not going to be helpful ultimately to the kingdom. You'll notice in the very next story, they're arguing about whether his power over demons comes from the demons themselves. In other words, if this is not some cosmic uh, shell game that, that, that Jesus is pulling on these people so that he can lead them to destruction. Right? So Jesus is pushing back against that and, and silencing them because he wants to define his own messiahship. He does not want demons. He does not want disciples. He does not want Pharisees. He does not want anybody to tell him what it means for him to be the Messiah because all of us will get it wrong. We all have a projection that we wish to push onto Jesus, don't we? We want a Messiah in our own image, but slightly better. Not a whole lot better, just a little bit better. We want a God created in our own image who dances to our tune when we push in the quarter and then leaves us alone when we screw it up. Didn't get any amens or anything, but, but that's what we want. And Jesus is going to steadfastly resist to the point of death any other definition of what it means for him to be Messiah than the one that he himself will frame out for us. So that's what's going on in verses um, uh, uh, 7 through 12. I know I've moved quickly through that, but where I just felt the quickening of the Spirit this week um, for, for what we were talking about was verses 13 through 19. So let's look at that. Out of that huge mass of humanity then, Jesus finally is able to escape to some degree by going to the rugged mountains to the north of the, of the lake of the Sea of Galilee, um, uh, an area of, of incredible ruggedness. It's, it's, it's rocky outcroppings, it's dry, it's a, it's a, a, a mountainous desert, desert region. And he then it calls some specific people to come to him. And from those that he has called as his disciples... He chooses 12, and the reason he's chosen 12, Mark wants to kind of telegraph that this is the formation of the new nation of Israel, the new people of God. That's why 12 is an important number to kind of parallel the 12 <clears throat> tribes of Israel from the Old Testament. I can fill that in for any of you who are kind of uh, unsure about what I'm talking about. Maybe we can talk after. I'm happy to, happy to do that. So as he chooses these 12, I need you to notice a couple of things for me. 
Let's look at it in verse 14. He appointed 12 whom he named apostles. The word apostle means sent ones, right? But I, I need you to notice this next part. This is the kind of the, the core of what I want to talk uh, with us about this morning. Verse uh, 14, he appointed 12 whom he named apostles, one, to be with him, two, to be sent out, to do what? A, proclaim the message, and B, have authority to cast out demons. So you've got two primary phrases with two definers of the second one. You with me? So the first thing, to be with him. The second thing, to send them out. Please notice, come and then go. Be with me, then be sent out on my behalf. Presence, absence. Invitation, sending. These are going to be the two twin themes for the rest of Mark. He will constantly be bringing people in and then sending them out. This is still the pattern of the church today when it's healthy. When it's unhealthy, it draws in without sending out or sends out without having learned how to be with Jesus. This is the tension that we experience. It's a tension, frankly, as, as the garden continues to grow and mature. We're trying to figure out how to do both of those things. It's an enormous amount of energy to do this Sunday morning gathering. We've got men and women who are here at 6, 6.30 in the morning setting up for us who don't leave here until 8.30, 9 o'clock tonight. Just to gather. And that's not even the same thing as being with Jesus. That's the hard part. Getting everybody together in a big room, that's easy. Just bring pizza. Right? But to get people to learn how to be with Jesus when just on the, on the other side of door number three is casting out demons and doing cool stuff like that. Holy cow, can we please end the meeting now so I can take on something, somewhere, someone you feel the tension? Because I'm going to suggest to you that if you haven't learned to be with Jesus, whatever kingdom it is you proclaim won't be the kingdom of God. And whatever deliverance you bring won't benefit the kingdom. Of those two twin things, being with Jesus or being sent, the simple, the simple truth is the hardest one is learning to be with Jesus. Think how hard it is for you to take one day in seven and do no work. Now, why is that so hard for us? God has given it as a gracious provision. He intends it to be life-giving to us. He wants us to play he wants us to pray. He wants us to be in communal relationships with persons. He wants us to join together. Why do we have such a hard time doing that? Because we are activators. We are activists. We think we are human doings rather than human beings. So when we hear the job description is to go out and proclaim the kingdom, which I'll talk about in a minute, and to go out and, and, and set people free from demonic oppression. Sign me up for that. I'm, I'm up for that one, right? But when we hear that the, the, the sign-up list is to be with Jesus, 
we want to know what the agenda of our time with Jesus is. Right? We, we want to be given uh, uh, some kind of an indicator of whether it's going to be a profitable time. Because we've got, we've got kingdoms to proclaim and people to deliver. We've got things to do and places to go. Right? Now notice how... Anybody else recognize how quickly that shifts for us? Man, it, it, is, just, it is just incessant on us. We move as fast as we possibly can to Genesis 3 where we will take the gracious gift of God, not even thank Him for it, and then choose how to live our way. That's why learning to be with Jesus is the critical thing. Please notice, Jesus spent more time with those 12 disciples than He spent with anybody else. He was not in a big hurry to save the world. Two and a half years with 12 people. Pouring his life into them. Learning their names and their stories and teaching them his. Listening to them. And teaching them to listen to him. And he failed completely and utterly to do it. You'll notice in the Gospel of Mark that the disciples never get it. They're always, Jesus has no problem with demons. He has no problem with sickness and disease. Who does he have the problem with? Disciples. Demons never argue. They just say, we're out of here. Where's a pig? I mean, you know, that's, that's chapter five. <laughs> right? They're just instantly obedient. He says, go. They, they, they say, how far? I mean, Right? And disease, it's gone. Leprosy, gone. Uh, lame, we're running. I mean, it's, it's blind, we're seeing. I mean, it's just amazing. No problem with, with, with demons or diseases. Disciples, uh, Jesus, uh, just, uh, time out. Can we talk? Can we really? You're really embarrassing us. I mean, over and over and over again in chapter 8, he's going to say, for me to be the Messiah means to, to die. And Peter is going to immediately say, excuse me, no, actually it doesn't. What? How many know that Jesus has the same problem today? That's the point I was trying to make earlier. We want a Jesus created in our own image who will do what we tell him to do and then leave us the hell alone. And he insists on being Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I don't really care whether you like my view of your life or your lifestyle or your behaviors, or whatever. If you keep doing this, it will damage and destroy you, and I love you too much to let you think this is okay. Even if it risks you hating me and crucifying me for it. That's why they had to learn how to be with him. So that when they finally did get it, almost two and a half years later, they could remember how to live the way he did. This is intense, isn't it? I mean, for me, it is. This is, this is, this is really, really hard. Because listen to what's behind door number three. He uses a technical term when he says to them uh, in verse um, uh, 14 there, I think it is. Yeah, verse 14. He sent them out to proclaim 
the message, to proclaim the gospel. Remember what I said the gospel was, to proclaim the kingdom, right? The word proclaim there is a, um, a, a particular construction of, of the Greek language that talks about prophetic proclamation. It's the same word that is used to translate, pardon me for this, but I, 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 just to make the point, the, the Hebrew word for, um, t- that is used to talk about speaking things into existence, when it comes to Greek and then translates to English, it's this word, proclaim. I need you to sit with that for a minute because what Jesus is giving them capacity to do is to speak and to speak with such authority and power that things that didn't exist before they spoke exist after they spoke. To speak into existence in a specific situation and circumstance the very presence of the kingdom of God. Wouldn't that be cool? To go into your home and just by speaking, the kingdom becomes present and access is available to it. Wouldn't that be amazing to walk into a troubled work environment and to be able to speak in such a way that the kingdom becomes present in that environment? Wouldn't that be absolutely stunning? How many of you know you need to be trained in that because you could do real harm? That's why you've got to learn how to be with Jesus. And then get sent to speak realities into existence. And then the power to cast out demons. And by that, it's just kind of Mark's shorthand for his language of, of authority over that, that whole spiritual realm. How many of you recognize there is a spiritual realm and it seeks to do us harm? How many of you know that there is a whole spiritual realm and it seeks to do you good? Why don't we pay more attention to that than the others? I know it doesn't make blockbuster movies, but the darkness is not going to win. Put your money on the light. Just a tip. Right? So when Jesus says, I'm going to give you capacity, power over that whole dark realm, principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness in high places, Paul will later elucidate it for us in in Ephesians chapter 6. He is not messing around here. Jesus gets what it's going to cost him to give you that authority. We need to be trained in that. So how do we get trained in that? By being with him. Because he knew. He knew how to do this. It wasn't ever a sideshow with him. It wasn't ever so people would think he was really cool. How many of you know that you would become your own sideshow? Oh, you liars. I mean, we, we want to be able to do stuff so people think highly of, of us. And Jesus is just saying, as soon as it becomes about you, it's no longer about the kingdom. You need to be with me. You need to be with me. You need to learn how to be with me. To be, not to do. Once we get the being part done, the doing part will be fairly easy to teach. But the being part, that's a killer. And then we get this strange list 
And, 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 and I know I, I want to keep tight on, on, on our time here, but look at this. So he appointed the twelve. Simon. James. John. Andrew. Philip. Bartholomew. Matthew. Thomas. James. Thaddeus. Simon. Judas. These are the backstop guys. You know what I mean? Anybody else hanging on the backstop in grade school while the teams were chosen? You know, the game is about to be played. Who gets picked as captains? The best players, right? And, and, and then who gets picked next and on down the line? Anybody else in the company of the backstop hangers? Okay. And, and, and for those of you who are numbers one on there, I, I, I don't want to offend you because there, was, there, was there were some heavy hitters here. Peter was, Peter was not a slouch. I, I, I get that. But don't you start to get the feeling that the reasons and the ways that Jesus made his selection had almost nothing to do with what these people brought to the table in terms of ability? I think the reason he chose, I, 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 I've been thinking about this for a long time, and one of the conclusions I've come to is that Jesus chose these people so he could demonstrate to the wide world that they represent. He can take anyone, and if they will spend enough time with him, they will become apostles whom he can send. And, I mean, Mark makes it very clear that these guys were not chosen because they were the brightest bulb on the tree. Right? They were not chosen. In fact, earlier on in the gospel, remember, Jesus comes to them at the seashore, Peter, James, John, Andrew, remember, and says, follow me. I think you have, this is what it means when he says this, I think you have what it takes to be like me. And they're looking around at each other like, who, us? Who's he talking to? Because these are the dropouts. These are the blue-collar workers these, these are the street sweepers. These are the people who in that culture, in that society, simply did not have anything that would commend them to anybody who was starting anything important. This, they don't bring anything to the table. And then they spend the rest of the next three years bringing important people to Jesus, thinking that's who He will want. And keeping away unimportant people because they are convinced, now that they're important, that Jesus doesn't want things like children and lepers and women. How quickly the tide turns. Proverbs is clear. Beware of the pauper when he becomes the prince. That's what's happening here. He's taking this list of unlovable losers. And the reason I need you to sit with that for a minute is because if we're not very careful, we will slice and dice their character and come up with some reason in their personality, their temperament, their abilities, their gifts, and say, oh, that's why Jesus chose them. No. He didn't choose Peter because he was big and bold and brash. He chose Peter because he was Peter. 
And then he took that big, bold, brash disciple and turned him into a servant of the church. Now that's, 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 that, I, candidly, can I just be honest? That's a bigger miracle than casting out all the demons in northern Galilee at the time. Jesus has no problem over demons and disease. Tweaking disciples to Christ-likeness, now that's a day's work. Because it doesn't happen like that. How many wish it would just happen like that? Just, you know, at least with selective things that I have begun to realize are problems in my life. I just wish that I could snap my fingers and my porn addiction would disappear. I just wish I could snap my fingers and my, my attitude would get back. I just wish I could snap my fingers and, 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 and my, my anger would, would um, reduce to the level of usefulness. I don't want to get rid of it entirely because sometimes it's really helpful. I mean, we don't even know how to be with ourselves, let alone be with Jesus. And, and then we want the power to speak realities into existence. Are you kidding me? And supernatural authority over spiritual realms? Are you? No, 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 no. Put the knives down, children. Right? He invites us to learn ourselves as with him. Notice who's in the list. Peter, James, and John, to whom he gave the title Sons of Thunder. I think he did that with a twinkle in his eye and a threat in his voice. Indicative of their temper, their anger, their ability to fly off the handle. Remember, these are the guys that wanted a new Kapoor innocent Samaritan village just because they wouldn't give them a night's lodging. <laughs> Can you be trusted with supernatural authority to speak realities into being? James and John says, oh yes, oh yes we can. Let's try it out on this village. <laughs> and Jesus just says, no, we're going to the cross first. It's with these guys that later on Jesus is going to have the dialogue. Do you think you have the capacity to drink the cup that I drink? And they said, yep, sign us up. We're ready. And then we get the guys that disappear into the middle of the crowd. Andrew. Now, Andrew's a nice disciple. He's bringing little boys to Jesus with their lunch. He's hauling Peter around saying, I found somebody you might want to take some interest in, right? Philip. But for the most part, we don't know much about these guys, right? They just kind of drift in and out. James is, does not come off well. He shows up three times in the Gospel of Mark, or John, rather. And every single time, he's saying the wrong thing that everybody is thinking. But nobody has the guts to say but him. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If I go and prepare a place for you, surely I will come and receive you to myself. You know where I'm going, and you know the way that I'm going. Uh, Jesus, excuse me, we don't know where you're going. Uh, I don't. Anybody else? 
Don't you know? This is Thomas, this is this is John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Can you please put a cork in it? If he hadn't said that, we wouldn't have heard, I am the way and the truth and the life. I don't think Jesus called him so he could say that, so he could say that. I think Jesus called him because he needed somebody like Thomas to model for us who are like Thomas how redemption works, learning to be present with Jesus. And then we get this story here in verse 18. Excuse me, Andrew, we've talked about Philip Bartholomew, otherwise known sometimes as as, uh, um, Nathaniel, Matthew. Uh, We know his story. He's a tax collector. He's a collaborator with the Roman government. Then the next guy on the list down here, a couple down here, is Simon. He is called a zealot. He has taken a blood oath to, to kill all collaborators with the Roman government. What? Yeah, Matthew, collaborated with the Roman government. Simon, taken a blood oath as a zealot to kill all collaborators with the Roman government. Jesus, you prayed about this all night and this is the best you could do? Come on, get a grip. And who do you think he made bunk together? Three years camping trip in the tent. I want both of you guys out alive in the morning. I'm just saying. Okay, so then he comes down here, and then we get to this final last one, and I, I want to I move quickly here, but look at this, look at this. He chose, he chose Judas Iscariot, who would, it says, betray him. Aren't you glad Judas got chosen? Because he's the paradigm for many of us in the room. Judas was the bad guy, so the rest of them could think they were the good guys. How many disciples betrayed Jesus at the end? Every single one of us, every single one of us did not stand with him. And he chose Judas. I don't know about you. But I'm really glad for these 12. If for no other reason that sometimes they make me feel pretty good about myself. Anybody else do virtue by comparison? As long as there is a Jeffrey Dahmer in the world, we're fine. I'm fine. Thank you. I'm fine. Notice that's what we do with Hitler, isn't it? That's what we do with Pol Pot or with uh, Stalin or whatever generation you grew up in where the monster emerged so that everybody else who weren't that bad could feel Good, and Jesus just says, y'all, come. Now, here's the deal. I need you to become the kinds of people that I can trust to empower to do whatever you want. And in order to learn that kind of trust, I need you to spend time with me. I need you to spend time with me. So here's how I want to end today. I want to invite you to consider where on the list you are. Are you the nobodies and the nothings and the disappeared ones in the middle that nobody ever hears about? You've just gone your whole life in shades of gray, perhaps, in other people's perception. Are you the Peter that 
thinks just after you've spoken? Are you Thomas that holds life in your hands and says, eh, gee, I'm not really sure yet. Are you Judas? As convinced as everybody else of the truth of what is true, and taking your own agenda in your hands, use life to promote death through betrayal. Are you James and John? And I'm sorry, ladies, they're all men, but I'm sure you can recognize yourself in some of them somewhere, who are so terrified and so insecure that their anger is the only way they can make their presence known. Are you good enough for Jesus? Because frankly, if this is the list of the good enoughs, I'm in. Now frankly, again, I'm not sure I want you all to be in. There's nothing better than being the second last person chosen from among the backstop hangers. You know what I mean? So here are the last guys. Here are the least guys. Where are you? And are you willing to pay the price of being like Jesus so that you can be trusted with power? Knowing that that's going to cost you learning how to be with him, to spend time with him, to know him. Damien and, and, and the team are coming back up. And I'm going to invite you just to spend some time in our next set of worship to consider, to lean into what he has been speaking to you today. Because I don't think this sermon is about other people, do you? This is about me. This is about us. This is about our journey. We want to be sent. And he wants to train us so that we can do good when we are sent. So that we can be good. Lord Jesus, we set ourselves before you. This text is a wonderful, riotous uh, affirmation of grace and mercy and forgiveness and help and wholeness and challenge and correction and discipline and all of those things all wrapped up into one. We know how much energy is going to be devoted into Peter's becoming Peter. Peter's becoming the rock upon whom the church is built. We know what it's going to cost you to get him to that. And we ask you, we beg you, Lord Jesus, do that same thing for us. We want to be useful in your kingdom. We're, we, we want to stop giving you directions for how to use us and just be with you so that we can be sent and be useful. Help us in this, oh God, I pray. We empty ourselves of our preconditions so that you can fill us up. Having learned how to be with you, we can then be trusted to be sent. Amen. I cultivate Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear other messages from the Garden, or if you would like to find out more about the Garden Church, check out our website at thegardenlb.org. Come